0: Greetings, all, and welcome to Margin Call, the editorial meeting and podcast for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. As you are all aware, we are in dark days of the ongoing American experiment. It seems everywhere we look, we see harrowing examples of injustice, human misery, often inflicted in our name. And yet, it is such a divided time that we cannot, as a people, agree on what is just or what is the correct path of action, or even what best reflects our collective values. Many of us, myself included, would say the starting point is clear. We should treat people with dignity and use a consistent method of meeting out justice. But even that, somehow, is in question. In the face of all of this, where can we turn for answers, guidance, or respite? The answer, of course, is television, and movies, and music, and books, and podcasts, and paintings, art is the great American export, and we can use it to communicate our values, examine the human experience, criticize the experiment, or even just tune out the noise for a little bit. In recent episodes, we've discussed child separations, both on the border and throughout the criminal justice system, the shooting death of rapper XXXTentacion, whose murder brought issues of domestic violence, gun violence, and racial justice into sharp focus. On this episode, though, we take a step back, to try to find some context. We've gathered our panel to discuss art, how it informs the world we live in, and how it helps us to contextualize human behavior, or even just retain some sanity. Joining us tonight on the crew, we have Amelia, Melanie is here, Josue, heavy hitter, Mr. Rojas, so happy to have you back. E Ming is here, our producer has agreed to chime in, which always makes me happy. And Shirley, I want to start with you, Amelia, Um, mostly because your suggestion for a show, uh, you know, you want to talk about Westworld. I I have to say I haven't watched Westworld, so just for everybody's sake, give us a little overview. But it's a good example because Westworld, from what I understand, I'm not going to say from what I read in The New Yorker, but from what I understand, has a lot of implications uh, in terms of morality, right? and Like right and wrong and robots and how crazy the world is. That's my summary. <laughs> you can obviously do a much better job. Uh, please unmute yourself uh, and give us a little, little primer into you know, what is Westworld uh, and then you know, how does it help us to make sense out of uh, the world that we live in today?
1: <laughs> yeah, Westworld, how do I describe Westworld? And as you were sharing the introduction, I was reflecting on where I escape in the media apparently I escaped to one of the most violent um tv shows uh which is terrifying um but yeah so basically it's um about these robots who are set on loops and there are guests from the real world and they come in and it's like a big they call it like the park so they just come in and they can do whatever they want with the guests they can like and it's, you know, set, there's many different worlds, but like it's set in Westworld, which is like, you know, with cowboys and all the things. So the guests come in, they can like shoot people, do whatever, and um, no, they can't be killed. Um, but they're all like very rich. So you have to pay a lot of money to be able to go to Westworld. Um, but it's about like five different storylines in each episode. What
0: are people, what are people going there for? Like, is there motivation? Like I want to murder without consequences or like, I want to have giant orgies. Like what I'm, I'm just like thinking all about of those. all of those things. Okay.
1: Yeah. And no one watches you. No one sees like, the stuff you do you just go there and then you can leave and go back into your life is every
0: person who's visiting like essentially like an incorrigible human who at every turn does exactly the wrong moral thing or do we get Mm -hmm. examples of
1: we get examples of them but uh of like different people but mostly we look at the hosts which are the robots uh
0: so what made you what made you choose westworld like what about it is it is it purely an escape for you does it help you to understand the world is there some kind of like inherent criticism of you know who we are as people or where we are in the world today what 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 made you choose it
1: no it was actually the first episode was so good and so messed up that um, I felt like already addiction, because I also just didn't understand it. But I think it really shows this idea of choice. That's basically, I mean, it's about morality, but it's really about this idea of choice. And do people really have choices? Or are they set in behaviors that they just repeat over and over again, based on what they've experienced? Um, So it kind of unlocks that. So even though there are robots, you know, they obviously try to portray them as human beings um, with their own kind of consciousness, in a sense. So it's really looking at, you know, do people really make choices? Are they actually making these decisions or are these just consequences of their behaviors that they're just repeating over and over again?
0: Is the value of this show for you to just, like, get out of your life and trip out on some art? Or is there, like, is there some social resonance here? Are you thinking about, like, who would I be in this situation? Or are you seeing any reflections of our world today in this in this show?
2: Well, first of all, I probably couldn't afford to go to Westworld. <laughs> so I wouldn't even be there. But um, at the end of the season one, um, there's this really interesting moment where, like, the robot is, like, she th- or the bot like she thinks she's like free but in reality it's like all her decisions are like already being made for her like without and she's seeing it in real time like she's seeing her thought process mirrored in like the computer so I thought that was really interesting and I'm kind of wondering if they do that in season two too which which Amelia watched so she should know but I do not I only know as far as season one but I thought that was really interesting and I just really it's it was interesting for me because like I'm i I'm big on fantasy. I'm big on sci-fi. So it was kinda of like this like intersection between the two a little bit, which I appreciated. Um, and it just it, and it kind of weaves them back and forth through time too. So you're not really sure where you are at any given given point during the show. And you kinda of think you are, and then you're not, and you're just like, whoa, mind blows. Definitely not Game of Thrones, but it's definitely violent, definitely bloody, definitely hits all those marks, but it's definitely its own thing, which is probably why I appreciate it for what it was.
0: I'm intrigued by this world. I was having a conversation with a friend today about like how entertainment has changed because I um, was sad about the disappearance of all these reality shows. Like I thought it was a reality show and I was like, this is so good. This is the future. This is what entertainment should be. Just like average people in really bizarre and contrived situations. Uh, temptation Island, one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, and now, right. Okay. So then Temptation Island was so good. Can you think of a better premise than temptation Island? Oh my God. You get couples who are ready to get married, put them on a separate Island, flood them with attractive singles. I mean, that's an episode of Westworld,
3: right? We don't need Preston. Yeah, naked television. and
2: afraid. It is. It naked is. That
3: and afraid. Too. That too. Naked, yeah, I naked, I naked and afraid. I want to do Temptation Island Carnival. Like, that would be awesome. Like, then you'd really find out what, how whether people can pass a test. Like, just like send them what? to a country that couples should never go to together if they want to stay couples, and then like. send them to Carnival.
0: Hmm? Yeah, I like the idea of taking the show on the road, man. We could do Vegas, we could do New Orleans, <laughs> Burning Man. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff we need to pitch. Ibiza, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think Ibiza was the original Temptation Island. Anyway, the reason I say that is because entertainment has changed so much that you know at that time you know it was very day class A, you know, and cultured people were like, well, you know, I, I actually don't even watch television, and now you know you meet the literati and they're just like stuffing their brains or watching like 30 hours of, te- well, have you seen Westworld? you know, have you seen, you know, it's like it, it, now it's like, it's, it's it is the new literature, right? There's nothing shameful about like watching 80 hours of television a week, uh, which is shocking to me, even if it's quality. Like I know these shows are good. So it's not like people turn off your television, but that's an ungodly amount of television to watch. And, and I don't, I'm not like my hand isn't on my hip and I'm not wagging my finger. But it just occurs to me that, like, it's so good, you know, like, there are other, like, science fiction implications here, like, Fahrenheit 451, when they were setting books on fire, like, the fireman's wife hung out in her, in her living room, and one wall was a television, which is basically what people have in their homes now, and she just, like, watched other people living their lives, and, you know, like, I sometimes express a little bit of concern about the amount of television it's like it's so good it's like it's become a drug i don't know how we're going to weed ourselves off of it um but i suppose that's an unrelated point uh as, as long as we're still in the realm of the science fiction which i think a lot of these are actually science fiction the Greatest Escape, my favorite genre. I'm very anti-dragon and wizard. So I got to go with spaceships when when choosing my fantasies. I know that's a controversial statement. <laughs> uh, but I want to I wanna talk to you, Mel, because you mentioned one of my favorite shows. One of the shows that people are talking about today that I've actually seen, Rick and Morty, uh, which, you know, like my stoner cousin was like, hey, you seen Rick and Morty, you know, five years ago. And I was like, I don't know, or three years ago or whatever. And I watched it, and it actually legitimately blew my mind. Uh, so tell us, Mel, tell us a little bit about Rick and Morty, why you like it. We know you love robots in the future, so that answers that question. But, you know, tell us a little bit about what Rick and Morty is and why you wanted to bring it here today.
4: Well, well, robots aren't so much, you know, the main characters of this show. But, like, the reason I started watching Rick and Morty are based on Doc and, and Marty. And so... When I saw it, I was just like, oh, this is brilliant. Of course, they should have a, have their own TV show and it should be animated as well. And the fact that um, Rick is this drunken grandfather, just like a drunken version of Doc Brown, um, from the very opening in the pilot, just his tics and the way that he's um, th- that he's characterized by the actor is it's. I don't know, it just hooks you immediately because you're like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? And his grandson is such a little... He's just a little shit, and he doesn't know how to do anything, so it's great how um, Rick, who's a mad scientist, takes his little grandson on all these different adventures around the universe, um, often having all kinds of really weird um, adventures with weird characters and... um, it's all grounded with their family. We start in a, you know, a Bart Simpson kind of household where you've got these, you know, the mother and the father and the the sister who are all really quirky in their own ways. And then you've got these two eccentric characters having these crazy, crazy adventures um, sort of centering around it. So, so yeah. It's also not like
0: a particularly loving, I mean, part of, I think the reason that people love it so much is that he's like really irreverent at times like cruel and cold in a but yeah. in a comedic yeah. way, where like he's not taking his grandson on his adventures with him because he wants to be a loving grandfather and send, spend time with his son. You know, spoiler alert, he takes him on all these elaborate adventures throughout the universe and shifting you know, time space because he wants to get Mulan dipping sauce for Chicken McNuggets, you know, to learn that like all these all these universes that he's destroyed, all these realities that he's warped and bent. Uh, all of these traumatic experiences that he's sent his grandson through were really just because they discontinued the Mulan dipping sauce for chicken nuggets. <laughs> Spoilers, yeah, by the way, everybody.
4: Yeah. And it's a perfectly good to go into another dimension, you know, for some dipping sauce. The first episode so... I
0: ever seen in which, um, you know, uh, Rick has a spaceship, his battery mm-hmm. breaks down and we learn where the source of his power. He's such an advanced scientist that he just created a, planet except that every single person on that planet was just like socialized to stand on like a step counter machine to generate power for his battery so he like created a whole planet just so he could have power for his spaceship right so they go visit that planet and there's a scientist on that planet who's trying to develop an alternate source of energy by creating his own universe so it's like many multiple universes and the reason i mentioned that episode first of all blew my mind but also it has some of the implications that amelia and eming are talking about For Westworld, which are like questions about like, what are we, do we have any self-determination? You know, like classic questions of science fiction, which is like, is our whole life just like mapped out in front of us? Are we just like, is this planet just some kind of experiment by, you know, some super smart being on the other side of the universe who's just using us to generate power for their car battery the same way that, you know, the questions on Westworld are like, you know, this woman apparently learns that her whole life has been mapped out, and she thinks that she has self determination. I mean, there are lots of questions in there about God, and everybody has their own answers to that question. Um, yeah.
3: This is the the thing about Rick and Morty is that Rick and Morty has pretty much rendered every other serious sci fi obs- show obsolete, because the thing is that. Th- Everything that other shows, including Westworld, do for drama and the big questions in capital letters and who are we, who controls us, let's look at Anthony Hopkins looking serious for a second, is dismissed and taken care of and used as a gag. So what happens if there are a million other yous and therefore you live in a life without consequence? They solve, they ask that question. What happens if you discover that your parents are robots instead of real people? They ask that question. And the whole thing, and I didn't like it at first because I was like, ah, comics for grownups, I can't stand it. I don't like adult animation. Archer never made sense to me. Second, I didn't like those goddamn voices. But, you know, after you watch three or four episodes of it, you realize that, first of all, just to get technical for a second, it, the one of the things that's changed in comedy is it used to be that you would have three jokes per page and you would have three plot twists per change. And three specifically, they're called reversals, where, you know, you go in the opposite direction where you were expecting In Rick and Morty, they do it once every 15 seconds. You can chart it. There will be a plot reversal every 15 seconds or a gag or something else every 15 seconds. There are only two points in the show when it doesn't do that. And the thing that's kind of amazing, if you watch the whole thing, and I'm going to go no spoiler on this, is that it turns out to be a show that actually, when you watch it 74 times in a row, the way I do you realize that it's actually dark as a motherfucker, but I don't just mean dark like dark funny. I mean dark like it gets closer to, I think, where some of the despair that we live in as a society right now actually is. And the thing about Rick, as much of an asshole as he is, is that in the end, and this is why Rick is really important, because you ask yourself, okay, this guy's an asshole. He's shitty to his son. He's a drunk. He's viewing some kind of green animated thing all the time. What is it that's makes him worthwhile well as you move through the show he rejects every single false utopia that's presented his way he's incapable of not seeing the truth about the world he's in so if you're in a world in which it's all fantasy and like you think you're doing really well but you're actually just feeding the chud like in the matrix he's the guy who says i'm not willing to do this and that's why he's actually a hero as opposed to a villain is because as much as he lies it does all these things we all i mean when you want to talk about like okay, let's take, get out, right? We all agree that we love Jordan Peele. We we agree that he's amazing. Well, he just signed a deal with Amazon. They get, we watch Amazon. Amazon forces me to critique what's happening in the culture. Amazon is like also designing facial recognition tech that they're now using in Orlando, Florida. Amazon is like the bad guys and they just signed Jordan Peele on, right? So all this stuff that we're talking about, you know, The Americans, my favorite show ever, they hired Oliver North as, I'm sure, a super well paid consultant to talk to them about what he knows about spying. That guy now is head of the NRA. Let's leave out Iran Contra. So, what I love about Rick and Morty isn't it great that you gave me the mic and I won't shut up? But what I love about Rick and Morty absolutely surely, is that, this is why we would love you is that Rick and Morty is the Matrix. Here you want to know what the matrix looks like. It looks like this. You want to know what the matrix looks like. It looks like this. Every episode is a new exploration of what the matrix looks like. And when, once every twenty-two episodes or twelve episodes or whatever, they decide to give you an emotion, and you guys who are fans of the show know exactly what I'm talking about, right? When the ones where they, where where they play songs, where they all of a sudden the super super fast paced show, usually a
0: usually a blonde redhead song. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I know, right? It's really when I
0: hate the music. They, they know so how to choose them. There might be a Mazzy star in there too. They just choose like the saddest, slowest nineties singers to really no. just barbecue your soul at the right moment.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, the music is just ugh but anyway, but it works. So it's like, you know, Stephen King had this line where he said that um here, horror invites you to touch the body under to hut to touch a body under a blanket. And you touch it here, you touch it here, you let him take your hand and guide you, and the body is you. I feel like that's what Rick and Morty does. Rick and Morty lets you touch this blanket, body under a blanket, cracks jokes, and then reminds you that, by the way, the body is civilization and humanity as we know it. So that's why I like it. Boom!
0: Boom! Shirley Abney breaking it down from day F.A.
3: <laughs> Can you tell he feels Forget I ever what he said?
0: Forget before. everything I ever said about think twice before you chime in. Uh, thanks to Shirley for that I, I fantastic breakdown of Rick and Morty I never think about that show the same way again just I don't know how many other Rick and Morty viewers we have but the episode where the blonde redhead song plays the actual scene what's happening while that song is playing it's very slow sad piano is Morty is burying his own body from like an alternate timeline oh, <laughs> and he's just right. like you see his eyes, he's just like digging a hole, <laughs> like rolling his own little child body into it and putting the dirt on top of it. It's so unconscionably dark. It's just like a level of darkness that's even darker than a truly dark show because it's supposed to be kind of a laugh fest. And then just like she says, they hit the brakes right at the last minute and make, make you listen to an entire blonde redhead song while a, you know an eight-year-old boy puts dirt on his own body. Dork, we get dark.
2: Well, there's also one way to link this back to Westworld is when Beth uh, doesn't know if she's a clone or not. And it's kind of like the way the Westworld is where it's like, you know, you're slowly kind of figuring out if you, like, are real or not. And she's, like, not for sure at all.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, those kind of realizations, I think that's why this is the kind of escapist entertainment that we seek. Because the world has just become so chaotic that we need a reminder that, like, hey. Maybe it really is just like an alternate universe. Maybe we are living in the matrix uh, just to entertain that thought to try and assign some meaning to it. For some people, you know, for the cynical atheists uh, of the human population, <laughs> they have Rick and Morty. Other people got other ways of making sense out of the world. Speaking of other ways of making sense out of the world, hosue uh, I want to turn to you for a very dramatic but welcome turn away from science fiction and irreverent humor to possibly, like, the most earnest person who's ever lived, uh, Mr. Rogers. And uh, I know that there is a feature-length documentary that's in theaters right now, and I know that you saw it recently. I was a big Mr. Rogers fan when I was a kid. I didn't really get Sesame Street, man. Um, as Dwight uh, as Dwight from The Office called Sesame Street, uh, the show with the puppets in the barrio. Uh <laughs> uh so I watched it and I know who the characters are but like as a young young boy uh the place where I found like happiness and comfort even in a home that was you know chaotic and in a world that didn't make any sense was like really uh uh in the land of make-believe with with Mr. Rogers so I don't know if you had the same experience Josue but tell us a little bit about the film and and why you wanted to bring it on today
5: All right. So when I was growing up, my mom would take care of other people's children. And sometimes I was brought on to her job, which was she took care of other people's children. And they had a dope selection of films, videos, kids stuff. And I was like some of the first kid shit that I saw. And I always came back to Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers was the one. Um, I don't know. Mr. Rogers, to me, there's two reasons why I resent uh, millennials. One is you don't really remember the world. Firstly, you have you have access to so much information and you choose to do kind of dumb shit with it, but you also <laughs> don't have a memory of the world uh, before 9-11. And one of the things that you can kind of see is that Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, he kind of represents this pure innocence um, right before that whole reality. And um, I don't know. I think just goodness for the sake of goodness. You know what I mean. I think also in this moment of just all this toxic masculinity being kind of rubbed in our faces, just to see a person who's a good man, a believable good man. Like when I saw, when I saw things like uh, whatever, man. Um, any any of the heroes that I've seen that I love have been shot down so much, right? Morgan Freeman being accused of something or uh what's the guy from seven the uh the guy from house of cards
0: brad pitt
5: kevin spacey uh, Spacey. yeah all right white folks remember uh star's name is better than me right now so it's all good but (laughs) um kevin spacey but then you see uh mr rogers and it's like yo he's mr rogers he's black on both sides like he's mr rogers on both sides like he's mr rogers on the inside and mr rogers on the outside and for that I really love him. And I don't know if I'm really doing a film critique right now, but I'm just bringing up the things that really um,
4: that really resonated
5: with me. And, um, you know, I think he just so really did a job of finding his alter egos and speaking to those and making, um, I don't know, you know, the idea that um, what Degas said as an artist, right? He says, we take the devil and uh, we draw the devil just so that we can have power over him. And I think Mr. Rogers did a brilliant, a brilliant job of, you know, taking these things, these alter egos, these things that we were challenged with and personifying them or turning them into a puppet or turning them into a space. And then we would have power over the scary things and um, and have visions of the people that we wanted to be. So I think he did that. Also, one last thing that I'll say is that he was really brave. You know, um, in the 60s, they talk about uh, the week when Kennedy and um, others were assassinated. That same year, you know, he broke it down to kids and said, you know, what does assassination mean? <clears throat> you know, one of the puppets is scared and really describes in detail, breaks down these ideas so that kids, um, so that kids can have a way to understand it. And I think, um, I think it wasn't Pollyanna-ish. You know what I mean? I think it was positive and hopeful and loving um, and tender. You know, one of those these words that we don't really use to describe men. Uh, it was truly tender. In a way that wasn't corny um and i I love him for it, you know what I mean? I think it was just a good reminder of
0: uh uh what's possible that's beautiful. I've heard from a lot of people who saw the film that it's like actually very emotional for people who have a connection to <laughs> Mr. Rogers. did you have a similar response where you kind of did you become emotional? I'm not asking you if you cried, you don't have to answer that question I'm definitely i
5: cried a f man I cried a lot um <laughs> I'm a I'm almost forty years old, dude. I cried and I cried. Yeah, it was it was deep, man. It just I don't really get that a lot with films, but uh, yeah, I it's mean beautiful. it was yeah, absolutely. And I needed it, and it was great, and it really did me well that week. I mean, this is the same week I saw that the exact same week that uh, all this child separation stuff was happening, and um, I don't like using this word triggering. I mean, I was teaching, uh, I was doing some adjunct teaching at SF State. And people were triggered by deadlines and shit for their essays. I was like, Are you serious? But uh I actually was triggered by some of the child separation stuff. Like I was um, you know, I was thinking about like when my when we first came to this country and I my mom couldn't drop me off to preschool or kinder because in my mind it was the very last time that I was gonna see her. And I thought that and I just cried and cried and cried and cried for years, at least two or three years, where I just, you know, kinder through first and second grade, it was just horrible. And I just, it just brought that back to me. Um, But, um,
0: yeah, I mean, in that case, like, uh, that's not, that's not the triggering that the kids at San Francisco State are talking about. Like, that's, you know, that's your life experience. That's what people call trauma, you know, or like re experiencing trauma. But I think, like having you know, seeing these images for people who have dealt with child separation, whether it's through criminal justice or immigration or any other reason, you know, people who are witnessing this right now on a like on a national level, and I count myself among those people, um, it is legitimately traumatizing. You know, I don't think triggering is the word. I think you know, re-experiencing trauma uh, and and being affected in that way is just a symptom of kind of a cultural. You know, like a lot of us have undiagnosed. PTSD, and we don't understand our behavior, and, and then we realize, like, ah, like things like you said, things that happened to me in my young life, things that happened to you in your long, young life, like they're there. You know, there's a reason we, we needed Mr. Rogers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's a safe place, you know, and it's a place where there isn't trauma, but it's like not a denial that trauma exists. It's a beautiful thing.
5: Yeah. So, Mr. Rogers, man, all the way, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get a Mr. Rogers tattoo down, ready. <laughs> oh my god
0: I'll get, I'll get it with you man let's go won't <laughs> you be my neighbor <laughs> like a banner across the back with a cardigan yeah man
5: <laughs> two What's cans up? just two maybe I'll just, two just, cans yeah.
0: hanging on a string i'll just get a full cardigan just tatted on me <laughs> <laughs> that says won't you be my neighbor on the back surely you want to jump in with a tattoo idea
3: Um, No, but I just want to say, you probably saw this Facebook meme going around where it's like the the Mr. Rogers quote, the way he did a show on, he mentioned, he said the thing about disasters like earthquakes or fireplaces, there's always somebody helping and you got to find the people helping. And honestly, that was how I got through all of this shit, you know, was that I'm not like a fighter. I can't, I'm not going to, the gorillas wouldn't want me. I'd shoot myself in the face, you know? the understanding that all you need to do is go find the people that are helping and see if you can help them help is, is pretty much, I mean, Mr. Rogers is kind of the anti-Trump, no? (laughs) He's like the one, he says, won't you be my neighbor? I mean, of course we're responding to it right now. And yeah, it was Mr. Rogers advice that gave me a imperfect way of trying to face what's happening. And I guess for some of the people here, it's been how you guys have been trying to face what's, been happening for a lot longer than just since Trump won
0: yeah
5: it's well, true so. I think that was that really resonated the idea of like who's doing something about it and how you know how can I just join them uh, exercise is just being really really powerful
3: well yeah. it's like that line in star Wars right we're not gonna win by the hating them we're gonna win by loving each other hmm. the new star wars that you guys have all seen because Right. Oh, you mean the
0: clunker solo, the one that killed the franchise?
3: No, no, not solo. (laughs) Uh No, man, the one that had an Asian woman telling a black man right before she died, but didn't that way we're going to win is by loving each other.
0: Word. Oh, but wasn't she like really like badly friend zoned by that dude? And that was really what the storyline was: is that she was like in love with a guy who wasn't feeling her, <laughs> so she was like willing to die. Basically, she was willing to go full ISIS for this fool, not really for the yep. revolution, but just because she was really trying to lay down with him.
3: She was, but they always put the black person with the Asian person on TV because it's like, well, kind of. I've makes literally
0: sense. never seen that happen before. Please name another example. John Legend.
3: Uh okay.
0: Ah! <laughs> John Legend. <laughs>
3: Is Chrissy Teigen Asian?
0: Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Are you, are you using I'll, your eyes
3: I'll, around it? I'll think of examples, but usually what they do is they, it's too risky to put a black person and a white person together still sometimes for the blockbusters, but people will accept a black person and an Asian person or a black and a brown person. Porn,
0: from what I understand, pornography, it's actually quite a big uh, subgenre. But I guess that's not really relevant here.
3: Yeah, I'm thinking that pornography is different from um, stuff that has, well, I was gonna say stuff that has toys marketing attached to it, but that's not true either. So, uh.
0: yeah, there's a lot of toys marketing in porn. (laughs) That's a great um, line. I love that. Wait, was that Rogue One? That was Rogue One, right? Oh, God, no. No. Okay, don't get all nerd army on me, okay? I can ask a question about which Star Wars movie that line was in. That's my job.
3: Um, Rogue One is the one where they all die at the end, right?
5: Yeah, that one's epic, because yes. oh, it yeah. was standalone.
2: Yes, I love that one.
5: That,
0: that was one the best actually one so really far. was the best one. All right, Sway, sorry, yeah. what were you
5: going to say? No, I was thinking Rogue One is really great because it was standalone. But I want to talk about another thing that the reason why I'm really excited about it is Atlanta Season 2. Each episode felt like a literary standalone. You didn't follow it. Um, they did this magical thing. Firstly, the whole thing is done in magical realism, and it's a hip-hop magical realism, which me and Russell – You know, we tried. We delved in. No, we started that. um, We We started improv magical realism. Two (laughs)
0: thousand and one.
5: Give me my check,
0: childish Gambino.
5: So I think uh, Danny Glover really turned it, turned that idea into a successful, really good show. And here's some of the magic: half hour of storytelling. No, half hour of real time equals like two and a half, three hours of storytelling. It feels like a book in a half hour. I don't know how they did it. I mean, I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in, but
2: Atlanta—he's a genius. He's really good at what he, hes really good at what he does. Storytelling. Everything. I have never
1: seen a horror movie in which I was more stressed out
0: than trying to see if he was going to get that damn haircut.
5: Yes, the haircut. Yes. Right.
0: Right. Yes. Yep. Yes. So good. But I've never seen it. What's the haircut episode? Okay,
5: so the guy goes with a haircut, and everything happens but a haircut. Like, it, he he gets ran through, I mean, possible, like, theft and robbery and assault battery and car wrecks and uh, traumatizing children and just uh, stealing food. It's just, like, the funniest shit ever. And you're like, is this dude ever really going to get a haircut? And um, have you ever just, like, had to overhear an annoying conversation because you're held hostage because you're wearing a, you know, a barber's cape? And it's a little bit like that. And it's supposed to be therapeutic. Like, a haircut is like... I think it's a pretty intimate contract between you and uh and your barber. And um uh, I'm really lucky, man. I go my barber's here in the mission. He uh he reminds me of Carlos Santana, he gives me like really fun, like shroomy spiritual advice and um I, I hit the lotto with haircut people, but uh this dude hit the anti lotto with his haircut dude and it's just the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life.
0: Was this a uh, beard decision, Sway? Was that uh Santana's suggestion?
5: No, actually. So uh, the editor in chief of El Tecolote, Lex, he's a, a superstitious uh, Warriors fan. and He grows a beard every uh, every playoff. So uh, I was like, you know what? In solidarity, dude. I was like, fuck it. What? What's it gonna hurt? Like I was just like, okay. so this is the warrior. I just kept. I just it's never pretty looked. Pretty impressive, back. bro.
0: Thank it's you. a pretty impressive beard, you know, for our listeners. This dude's really. You almost got like the KD. You know, it's appropriate that it's warriors because you got the little goat. He's like, really, the wisdom's coming down. Uh, Kevin Weston also had one of those wisdom joints. The, the King Tuts, we used to call them. You know, <laughs> when they start, you, you let it go out from the chin. Looks mm-hmm. good, man. You look very dignified, bro. You look like an artist right now. Thank you. I'm in, ad- I'm in admiration. <laughs> um, I want to, we are somehow, miraculously, inexplicably, exactly right on time. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping that Charlie shows up right now. He's like, hey! <laughs> and has a suggestion for what he wants to talk about because then it would feel more like a regular Quest On podcast, but in which case, uh, you guys are incredible. You know, this is I had an idea to just have a conversation about uh, the art that we're enjoying and make connections in the world, and I, I couldn't have envisioned it going as well. I, I just feel like I learned so much. I have so many new shows I want to see and the connection, it's almost like emotionally, I feel I might not be prepared to see the Mr. Rogers movie <laughs> after this conversation, even though I know it's important, you know. Uh, it was kind of like I went to go see Toy Story 3 with my brother, like the day of my da- the day after my dad's funeral. And I was like, I-, I don't know, man. Like before we were going in there, I was like, I know this is going to be like really good, like probably in a therapeutic way. But like, I'm just telling you, it's going to get heavy. My brother is not like an emotional person at all. And I just like cried everything all the time. You know, so I knew I wouldn't be able to like hold his hand as they all thought they were going to go into the incinerator and die. (laughs) Uh, But it was such an important moment because I was like really obviously sad about losing my dad, but I didn't have like a way to be sad about it. I didn't know how to access that sadness because, you know, we don't really teach men how to do that a lot of times. So I needed Toy Story 3, man, you know, and maybe the sadness and trauma that I'm experiencing right now, watching families get separated and thinking about my own family separation and uh, maybe I just need to spend some time with Mr. Rogers and uh, you know shed some tears, and that will like bring me <laughs> the healing that I need, uh, which is exactly what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, so thanks to all of you for being here. This was great, one of my favorite ever. No disrespect to any other podcast that we've had, but like legit, legit, one of my faves. Amelia, thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure to have you. Eaming, it's so nice when you chime in, Eaming, because we always think of you as this like ghost in the machine. And we're like, no, e don't talk. Uh, but then every time you chime in, it's like, oh, my God, that was brilliant. It's exactly what we needed in that moment. That was so concise and so insightful. So uh, feel free. Let's let's loop you back in. Maybe that's on me. Uh, Josue, always a pleasure. My brother, it's good to see your face. Um, we're all going to see each other soon. Melanie, thanks for showing up. And Shirley, you made it once again an international podcast. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to our listeners who right now, and I'm announcing it, are now called margin callers. All right? (laughs) They needed a name. So thanks to all of our margin callers, uh, Sway, Mel, Shirley, Eming, Amelia, all of you guys. I love you. This is a great episode. Take care. Be well. Thanks for listening. See you soon.
2: This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.